This is the one that started it all for me. It's done a while back with Marty and Sean from Bobaplex. Sound quality is not that great, but we had a good time, a lot of laughs, and I really hope you guys enjoy it, and thanks for listening. So, Sean, Marty McCoy, how you fellas doing today? Yeah. All right, man, we're here at the Cutting Den in cold-ass Saratoga Springs, New York. Going to rock out with our things out. Yes. <laughs> Pretty cold to have your thing out. It is cold to have your thing out. Everybody else's thing is cold. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The great equalizer. Some warm hands yeah. on your cold thing. <laughs> <laughs> So how you guys doing, man? How's the road treating you? Oh, it's about over. On the 22nd, it'll be our last show of the year, and that'll be 157 shows that we've done this year or something like a that. A record for us, yeah. Damn, that's yeah. a lot of shows. That is uh, How's that treating you? We've gotten a lot tighter. <laughs> the, band, the band plays better. The band plays better. <laughs> How's the uh, other side of that, you know? The, um, the audience, you know, the build. It's cool. We did an opening experiment. Uh, we have a for Orgy, uh, Vera Union, and El Nino, and took a bit of a money hit, but it was to you know spread the word and play in front of different people, and I think it helped out a lot. Especially oh, in great Texas. bunch of guys too. Yeah. Yep. It helped out in Texas a lot. Yeah. Uh, Vera Union, great people. Uh, God, El Nino guys. If we got together and brainstormed and try to figure out something negative to say about them, there wouldn't be anything nope. that we could come up with. The Orgy guys were cool, man my girlfriend's favorite band she loved them so like she she was the one she's like you have to take this tour you have to go out with the origin i was like all right cool that's good though man you know it's good to hear that you know even when we get into this you know even though the guys that are working gets the hard part of the stick that there's still good guys out there yeah that have been on the top you know fell off the ladder now getting back out there still playing you know it disheartens me a lot only because, and I know we deal with financially. Right. So the hit that you guys deal with it financially, it's almost. I was a kid and got into this. I dreamed of being like Ozzy one day, and you know, always looked up to Ozzy Osbourne and the fact that you know, if you work for him, you couldn't look at him. And I realized that you know, Those there are a few people that could be so famous that the crew have to look at their shoes. And they work for you. And that would be cool. I'd like to walk through that. There he is. Don't look him in the eye. But that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, but you guys, no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys came in, you know, I know, like we came in on the tail end of the money, you know, oh, of yeah. where we would get the money. I know you guys were like sort of one of the last few, you know, um, to, you know, sign we a deal. Old school record deals. Right? Yeah, old school record yeah. deals. We got one. Get money, you know, have to owe all that money back, but not really care because you're young and stupid. Yep. yep. The label uh, went bankrupt on the, by the second album, so it was it was brief. It was about two years, but we saw what it would have been like 10, 20 years ago. They were getting a record deal. Yeah, yeah. The back in the days of you know Megadeth and all those guys getting hundreds of thousands of dollars, being able to actually 
pay bills yeah, and having yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars dumped into their singles or career. It was, gosh, it was a bittersweet thing for a minute. I was like, oh my God, Sean, we're, we're going to do this. This is going to be amazing. We had TV in our bunks. That was the Playboy channel in your bunk. You just had a remote and a little TV by your feet. That was the best feature of being on a label, I thought. A lot of whacking off and the comfort of your own bunk. So I, I experienced a little bit of that at the end of my old band, Perseverance. Okay. Not on the level that you guys did, because we were actually at the end of that rope. Mm-hmm. But um, and I know how it was when I shut Perseverance down, and then me and Terrence started Dead Superstar. Mm-hmm. How what how like what type of feelings was it to be there? I know you guys had a gigantic tour, and you guys were doing all these big things. Mud vans, yeah, mud vans. I mean, it was like it was a dream come true. Um, and then when TVT went away, <clears throat> which TVT had a lot of really cool people there and, and it did some cool stuff for us. When they went away, it was like, you've heard the, the age old stories of, oh, you're blacklisted now. The record label's gone. You'll never get a deal, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, it was, it was really rough. And we spent about a year and a half, probably what, Sean, probably two years yeah. trying to get out of when a record label goes bankrupt, nobody knows what's going on. Not even the record label or bankruptcy attorneys. We had to hire special guys to try to figure out what was going on. And, and it was, it was a nightmare. We rode around the country selling t-shirts. To pay, we were owned by a bank yeah. for like a year and a half. We couldn't release any music. And we finally did some things and worked with lawyers and finally got out of it. But it was a, it was a nightmare. So it was nice to be independent for a minute. And then by the next out, we did one album independent and we did get a record deal offer from major label. Surprisingly enough, I don't know why. When guns hit the radio, barely my guns on hit the radio. It was a monster. Yeah. Yep. And uh, big cats called yep. up on the phone. I got an awful uh, 360 deal. We thought, okay, we'll negotiate. And nope, no, no room for negotiation. They wanted 50% of your merch. Yeah. That's, and, 10% of your door, which you got 10% going to your booking agent, 15 going to management, 5 going to business manager. That's people you actually hire to work for you. So the label wants 10% of the door. So you're talking 60% of the door every night you're getting. So it was uh, pretty much rape on paper, and we uh, didn't take the deal. We were actually with Union Entertainment, who was uh, Nickelback and uh, Cinderella's management company, huge, huge management company. And they looked at it, and they tried to negotiate, and they said, look, they're not coming off the numbers. And if you take this deal, we won't be your manager anymore. It's too mm-hmm. lopsided. So we uh, walked, and uh, we got an investor in the next record, and that worked out pretty good on Charles. You know, it's amazing because we've been offered a couple of those, and I am, like, the biggest guy against the label, having worked with bands on big labels and been on, you know, uh, of TVT, how yeah. much we have all have in common. You know, it's amazing how that... We're not, you know, we are like the end of the, the end of the food chain as far as business comes. And I'll say we, I mean bands. Oh, yeah. You know, you, how, how stupid are you to let someone take 60% of something that you spent the better part of your life building you and you get 40? Yeah. Well, you get 80, but well, an old school record deal. And ours was, you keep everything else. You keep show. You keep everything. Merch, it's all your... Not unless he was signed to Blue Grape. You get 12% to 18% of the music. But here's the thing. They give you... They take 80% of the music because they're giving you $250,000 on a gamble. On a one record, yeah. Somebody might get drunk or shoot up and then be over in a few months. That's understandable. That's understandable. But on the other side, I mean, taking on everything is just insane. I've had band dudes try to explain to me, no, it actually works out better. I go... No, I, I passed third grade. 
it doesn't work out better. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get out from under it. So how, how do you guys feel just in general, like having to build it all over again? Like, how did that affect you? That Was that like a, a negative time where you like at one point, like, fuck this. Uh, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go and just whatever, work a job. Much, and, but man, we had, we did have the, um, we did, we were lucky to get the tide and the momentum of a label behind us as an independent artist. So people knew who we were. We've been on big tours. So there were more open doors for us, say, than a baby band. So in a sense, it was there was a light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, hey, you got all this promotion behind you. Um, and then guns started doing well, and we just kept going. Then we, yeah, then we started figuring out how radio worked and how you know, how to play the radio game. And, how and st- you know, we'd had booking agents and... and you know what it's like—a big booking agent. Unless you're Papa Roach or Buck Cherry or Five Finger Death Punch, you're not a priority to these major agents, and that's understandable. But we started to figure out how to book our own tours and, and do everything on our own. And once you're doing that, and no one's got their dirty little hands in the pot, you start to see that the, you start to accumulate money, and then you start to smarten up and cut corners and do all these things. And so we learned a lot, and, and we learned also how to um, fuck on our own. Marty and I's dad usually coach us well into our mid twenties when we had sex with a girl. He'd be right there watching us, telling us exactly how to do it. Dad, <laughs> how's my stroke, Dad? How's my stroke? <laughs> Damn it, Marty! Slow down, God. Damn it, slow down. But now, once we were like thirty, man, we we knew what we were doing. Well, you know, it's funny <laughs> that you say that because you know we've all you know, and it's funny because all of us have a lot in common between. Your dad watching you <laughs> thirty. That's crazy. Between man. the labels and the agents. <laughs> You know, um, to me, and, you know, I don't really care who I piss off because we're like, you know, we do everything ourselves. And right. if you like it, you like it, you don't, hey, keep it going down the road. Um, that, to me, most of these agents are quarter horses. They're out the gate and they're like, we're going to do this, this, that, that, and that. Just send me this. And then, like, not even halfway through, they fall off. You get yep. dropped because now they're asked by another agent to work this bigger tour. And you always, you start out first, but you always wind up coming in like, you know, What's, Seabiscuit at the end. Right. What's always happened to us as an agent, like, I'd love to work with you. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is like, take this band on tour with you. And they quarterback these bands, which, you know, you got to do that. But like never, ever the priority. It's just like, by the way, can you take this band and let me take Book you and all your markets that you've built up yourself and take my baby band with you. Other than our current manager now, I, I always used to say way back, we had a guy, got us on a label, but I said from management to booking to the label, <laughs> I was like, anybody in the music industry, whatever they tell you they can do, they can do about 30 at best 40% of what they say they're going to do. If you judge it by that, you will have an accurate gauge of what's yeah, reality. We have a great manager now, Doug Weber. That's um, a good guy. I met him yeah, he, al- twice, yeah. he also works for uh, New Ocean Media, and we hired him on to do... Uh, to do publicity for the the Hell in My Heart record. He did so many wonderful things that we begged him to be our manager. He's been our manager ever since, and he takes care of so many things. God, we got to be a headache to him. I mean, it's 24-hour-a-day job managing Boba Flexes. Well, so, you two are pain in the ass. Absolutely. The biggest pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> but he's great, and myself and Sean and Doug pretty much – you know, look over every little number and every little thing that's going on. And you still get snagged a couple times. He's, uh, and he's old school too, man. He hadn't done a radio uh, campaign band since like the 80s and 70s. So he told us, you're the first band that goes to radio that I've managed for 20 years. 
So he made a few mistakes. At first, he called up. He didn't know how radio works now, and he just called up the program director and said, how much coke is it going to take to get this song on the air? <laughs> yeah. And he said, what are you talking about? good old days. He said, how much fucking blow do you want, motherfucker? And, you know, that caused a few problems. I said, they don't do it that way anymore, Doug. But he caught on quick after that. <laughs> he said, the good old days. <laughs> be so high. How even... much fucking blow? Well, that... He said, you'd be so high <laughs> that you couldn't even screw the hookers. Just pee on them. <laughs> Speaking of the good old days, so go a little deeper here. When I met you guys, I don't know when it was, I think it was 2010, yeah. and we were on our way to go open up for um, Five Finger Death Punch and Drowning Pool in Milwaukee. You guys were starting, you guys were doing some sort of weird tour, and somehow, by the grace of God, you know, I actually, I'm very happy that it happened, mm -hmm. that we ran into you guys, and I think the first time we met, was in Janesville, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. And it was the back bar. The back bar. It's a great place. Yeah, it didn't so happen. We played like the next three or four shows together um, up in Michigan, and we all we wound up hitting it off, you know. No, absolutely. Um, at that time, you guys had actually two different people. You guys had um, Chris on guitar. Chris Greg and the Cowboy. Yep, and you guys had my man, Jared, Jared on bass. Jared on bass, yep. So now, you know, of course, everyone knows that that time has come and passed and mm -hmm. everyone's moved on to other things in their life. You know, wishing the best of luck, of course. He's doing great. How did that, if any, change the dynamic of what you guys are doing or were doing? And how did the crowd, because, you know, Jared's been there for a long time, mm -hmm. you know? So how did that change? Like, was there any crowd change on that or any perception uh, or disappointment? I think disappointment? John Hoskins, the guy before the Cowboy, John, you remember John? He was, was after. Pat Hoskins was after. Oh, was it? Yeah, he was there for like 30 seconds. Yeah. He fell in love and boop. Out of Grogan, I guess in Grogan, uh, we uh, started, you know, working in uh, guitar solos more. So we did change a bit and with a little old school and sort of before we didn't really have guitar solos very often. Got a little more rock and roll anyway before yep. Jared left. Um, when Jared left here, it was it was weird. Like I was really sad, and but I, you know, like, I thought it was gonna ha we were gonna have this huge backlash and and people were just like, you know, they knew Jared wanted to go home and 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 be with his wife and they were really understanding about it and they welcomed Jimmy in with open arms and, and we hit the ground running never missed a beat. I think Jimmy, Jared let us know and let everybody know that he was gonna leave and and they got their time to say goodbye and we did another tour across the country and like here's Jared's last tour and everybody came out and said goodbye and stuff so everybody got their closure and and instantly hit the ground running with Jimmy and they were all welcomed him in like he was family and, and it was cool man it was it was not the way I expected I was horrified when Jared left I was like what am I going to do it's my musical well, yeah, I remember, it's my soulmate I remember, I remember having that conversation with you and yeah. um some plate in the place in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Nebraska. We all played a show together. It was almost in tears. Yeah, we had a show in like the back gazebo yep. at like Bob's Country Bunker place that was in the middle of like, you know, Austria's town or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, I've played with that dude since we were 13 and 14. And, and like, like I said, it was my musical. But he soul. wasn't the original. No, but he, Tommy, and I were in high school, and Jared's twin brother, who's also a really talented dude, um, were in a high school band since we were kids. Was that when you was rocking the lesbian haircut? Uh, I don't remember any of that. Uh, <laughs> I doing a home know. video? You yeah. remember that? I was flash <laughs> some pictures up there. I'm mad, yeah. I'm mad. People for letting me walk around like that. <laughs> it was the early 2000s. You had to look like a dickhead. It was a year of the bug staring up in everyone in unison jump era. 
people wearing clothes that didn't fit them and shit. That's right, you pulled them off me. Jack Rock here. I uh, saw it as an opportunity, and I love Jerry, but when he left, I thought, now it's time, man, to, you know, maybe get a, you know, um, uh, a lesbian Asian to play basketball. <laughs> and, you know, make it look like the front of the orientation book when you go to college or whatever. And uh, we'll get like an Indian in a wheelchair. And uh, that way, when we go to radio, someone in the play go, you're not playing our single. Is it something to do with our new bass player, man, maybe? <laughs> you don't yeah, like yeah. Asian lesbians? You never right, told then. me this plan. That was a good plan. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you guys both know I have lots of love for Jared, man. We've oh, done, yeah. done a lot of things. Friend, and I'll tell you, you know, when Jimmy came in, I was like, I don't know. But, you know, he grew on me, and he's a good guy, and I like oh, what he does, and he fits, man, you know? Singing his ass up, looks like he's straight out of the 70s. Yeah, he looks like someone out of Ramones, man. Yeah. Like, one of the Ramones' younger brother that couldn't...